Hey, also Church, Pastor Harvey here. Uh, great to be with you today. We are starting a new series, a Christmas series for the next four weeks uh, in this time of Advent. Advent is the time where we think about Jesus' appearing. And we particularly we think about Jesus' first appearing and his second appearing and his second coming. Usually uh, we preach about the second coming during Advent, but this year we're doing a series uh, focusing in on the Christmas story. And we're calling it Christmas Light because we're taking a look at um, various ways in which from the story of Christmas, uh, it shines light on the world. It shines light on our life. It, it, it reveals uh, who God is and who we are and all of that. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be going verse 26 through 55 today. And um, yeah, Luke chapter 1. And uh, let's go ahead and read the text, and then, we will, uh, then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town of Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the great name of our Lord Jesus, the one whose birth brings hope to the world. Come and instruct us and teach us. Let us see through this story uh, your goodness, your grace, your power. Also let us see through the story of Mary uh, what it means to fear you and to love you and to walk with you and be submitted to your will. So come Holy Spirit and teach all of us. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, do you have hope? This is uh, the part of the Advent series where we look at hope. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at hope. We're going to look at joy. And we're going to look at peace. And we're going to look at love. These, these four themes of the Christmas season. And um, today, we're going to talk about hope. And I think that hope is something that can often be confusing for a lot of us. A lot of us feel like we might lose hope from time to time, or we might feel like hope is something dis distant and hard to grasp. Uh, the truth is that when people lose hope, their humanity begins to decay. Um, they become deeply discouraged, and then they become dominated by all kinds of evil forces, or they try to dominate with evil. When they lose hope, people try to, when the people lose hope, they try to gain control. People lose hope uh, because of various things. Sometimes it, people lose hope because of loneliness, or sometimes people lose hope because of, of fear that's in their life. Uh, sometimes people lose hope because they don't know what their purpose is. They lose their purpose. Other people lose hope when they just feel stuck in life, and they're, they don't know what to do with that. Sometimes we lose hope when we feel, when life feels out of control, or maybe there's a chronic sickness, or maybe there's fear of death, or maybe we're overcome with grief because of some situation that we're facing. Or maybe you lose hope because of abuse in your past, and, and now in your life it's catching up with you, and it's, the trauma is harming you. And, and oftentimes because of that, people lose hope. People lose hope because they're deeply wounded. People lose hope because of financial stress. And we could go on and on with the reasons why people lose hope. But here's what I know about human beings. That when human beings lose hope, they tend to fall apart. They tend to either become destructive to other people, destructive to themselves, or they just go down when they lose hope. We need hope. Um, my daughter, Selah, uh, had surgery this last week, and um, the surgery went good, um, and we're waiting for the results, and we should get the results um, this coming Monday, hopefully, possibly it might be the Monday after that, we're not exactly sure, but we're in this place of waiting for the results, and there's a possibility that it's benign, and it's, it's, it's nothing, and they'll, they'll do what they need to do to fix it. And there's a, also a possibility that it's not benign. There's a possibility that it could be cancerous. We, we don't know, and we're waiting for those results. So we're currently in a place where we're waiting upon God, and we're waiting upon His answer. Um, and we're lifting our prayers. But in a situation like this, we could easily look at the situation and begin to lose hope. 
Uh, oftentimes, the reason we lose hope is because we begin to look at the circumstances. And then on top of that, we assume worst-case scenarios. Or even if there was a worst-case scenario, we forget that God is with us. And so we lose hope. So to have hope is to trust in God, not your circumstances. Your circumstances are often going to feel hopeless. Um, but God is with us. And whenever God is with us, there is the possibility of hope. Now, if uh, you were to look at uh, the dictionary definition of hope, and which is the way in which most people in our culture use the word hope, uh, you would find this dictionary definition, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. It's kind of like, I hope this happens. You don't, you don't, you, you're kind of doubting, actually. You're not really sure. But that's not what the Bible means by hope. The Bible, when, when Scripture talks about hope, it talks about the confident expectation of what God has promised. The confident expectation of what God has promised. There's one passage in Hebrews that says that hope, the hope we have in Christ and what He has done for us and who He is, the hope we have in Christ is an anchor for the soul. Think of that picture, like you're on a boat and things are crazy and the waters are, are going and you need to get still, so you throw in the anchor. Hope is an anchor. It keeps us steady in the midst of life's storms. So here's my main point today. Christmas brings hope to the hopeless. Christmas brings hope to the hopeless. Now we're going to see this in the life of Mary. Mary is easily the most important woman that has ever lived. There's not even anybody close to a second place, really. And this is, you know, why many in the Roman Catholic tradition pray to Mary and almost kind of worship Mary, which is, is wrong and it's false. But just because in the Roman Catholic tradition there's maybe some misunderstandings about Mary and, and her role and what, how we relate to her, doesn't mean that, we, that they're not right about something. Where the Roman Catholics are right is that Mary is the most important woman that has ever lived. Uh, not, not just in her character and in her life, but because she is the mother of our Lord. She is the mother that God has promised to bring hope and salvation into the world. Uh, we had just covered um, Genesis, of course. And in Genesis, there's uh, right when God is bringing the curse on Satan, he says this. He gives a promise to humanity as there is a curse upon uh, Satan. And this is what God says to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So there's going to be enmity between uh, the woman and her offspring, that's, that, that's humanity, but specifically the offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says this, talking about the offspring, the one Jesus that is to come. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So when this Jesus comes through the woman, this, this Savior comes through the woman, he will be bruised by Satan, and that's the cross. But in his bruising, he crushes the head of Satan. So his heel has been wounded, but you can recover from a wounded heel. If your head is crushed, you're done. So Jesus is coming into the world to crush evil. And the promise is that it will come through the woman, the seed of the woman. In other words, there won't be a man involved in the conception of the Lord Jesus, of the Savior 
of the world. And so this woman that was prophesied in Genesis 3.15 is Mary. She is, bar none, the most important woman that has ever lived. And, and I want you to hear this. That promise in Genesis 3.15 that God gave to Adam and Eve, and also to us, was, was the promise of Christmas. God promised Christmas right away in Genesis 3.15. So Mary is a model for women and men. And Mary, and when this story is taking place, I want you to try to imagine this, is probably about 16 years old. My daughter, Selah, is 16 years old. My other daughter is 14 years old. I can't imagine them having to face something like this. Now, in this day and age, people would get married this young. Uh, so it wasn't uncommon for a woman to have a baby this young in, in her life. But to have an angel show up and tell you, you are going to give birth to the Son of God, the promised one of Genesis 3.15, the Messiah, for a 16-year-old girl is pretty astounding. And it's astounding how she reacts and how she lives. All right, so let's take a look at this. Genesis, uh, or sorry, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. A couple things here. Gabriel is an angel uh, that is talked about several times in the Bible. He, he is mentioned two times in Daniel, giving revelation to Daniel, specifically uh, telling him about the future that is to come. And then he also appears to Zechariah uh, in the previous story, right before the one we're studying. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Jesus, the preparing the way of Jesus. And then here, Gabriel also appears to Mary. So Gabriel is a messenger of God that seems to show up when very important things need to be communicated to humanity. And he appears to this girl in a city named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a very tiny little town. In fact, uh, I've not been there. I've been in Israel, and we were on the bus, and they were like, hey, Nazareth is right up there. For whatever reason, it wasn't part of our tour. Uh, but you could see it. It's kind of up on a hill, tiny little city. At the time that uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus lived there, there was maybe a couple hundred, maybe 500 people total that lived in Nazareth, this tiny little town that sits upon uh, a hill. And um, so an insignificant town. In the grand scheme of Israel, it's an insignificant town. But in the grand scheme of the world, it's, it's, it's a spit in the road. It's nothing. Well, there was a virgin that lived there, Mary. And it says, uh, she was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so house of David tells us that she is um, part of the line that comes from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of the kings that will lead to the ultimate king of the promise. Verse 28, and Gabriel, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one. So he calls her favored one. It's actually could be translated, greetings, O graced one. God has put his favor on you. God has put his grace upon you. God has chosen you to be a recipient of his grace, not only in your own heart and life and salvation, but now you, God has chosen you and put favor upon you for what he is about to bring into your life and through you. Verse 29, but she, you know, she's a 16 year old girl. She was greatly troubled. And the saying 
at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Of course she was afraid. An angel appeared to her and, and says, Greetings, favored one. And of course that's a good thing to hear from an angel. But it still was terrifying to her. And she was afraid. And, and the angel says, Don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. God is with you. God has chosen you. Now she has no idea what this angel was about to say. Or what God had chosen her for. But she is terrified. And, and so would we be. If an angel showed up to us, we would be terrified. Oftentimes people in the Bible, when they see an angel, they fall down in terror. Um, so... Here's the 16-year-old girl experiencing the most important moment in redemptive history, the bringing about of the promise of Genesis 3.15, the promise of the Son of God. So, verse 31, he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, this is odd because uh, she does not know yet uh, exactly who this child is to be. She just knows that you're going to conceive and you're going to call his name Jesus. God has given you instruction on what his name is to be. Because I, even the, the name Jesus was actually a pretty common name. It was the, it's the name Joshua in English. But uh, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves, God saves. So his name is going to be God saves this child that you're about to have. Now, after uh, he is, tells her that you're going to have this child and his name is going to be God saves Jesus, the angel says this, he will be great. Now, imagine this 16-year-old girl in this tiny little town. Um, is t an angel appears to her from God and says, you're going to have a child and he's going to be great. In other words, he is going to be great in the history of the world. And if you think about it, Jesus is literally the most famous person who has ever lived in the history of the world. Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived in the history of the world. Even if you want to deny the gospel, you have to admit that his life had more impact than any life in the history of the world. There's a reason why we talk about B.C. and A.D., before Christ and the year of our Lord, because he literally splits history. He is the one who opens up history. Okay? So he is going to be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. So this is the first time she's getting kind of a, an idea of what, what is meant here. He is the Son of of the Most High. Now, the Most High would be a, a way, a reverent way in which Jews would talk about God. Going all the way back to Melchizedek, which we studied in Genesis, Abraham and Melchizedek, that Melchizedek was priest of the Most High God. And so the Most High God, the all-powerful God, this, this child will be the Most High's son. He will be a human being, but a son of God, the Most High. Now imagine Mary. Imagine Mary seeing this, hearing this. What an amazing moment for this young woman. I can't imagine my daughter, uh, one of my daughters, you know, getting this kind of message from God. But this 16-year-old girl was the one that God chose.
to bring hope and change to the world through the child that she would bear. It's incredible to think about the circumstances and what God was going to do through her. It says in verse 32, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. This is a way of saying he is the promised one. He is the Messiah. He is the one that God told us was coming. So as a Jewish girl, she would have heard about Messiah from the time she was very little. The Messiah will come and bring salvation to his people. And so here now she's discovering this one she's learned about her whole life, looked forward to her whole life, that her whole community is looking forward to Messiah will be her son. Can you imagine absorbing that at 16 years old? Well, verse 33, it says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So he's not like other kings that live and die, that reign for a while and die. When when he comes, he will become king forever, the eternal king. Uh, He will be the final king among the line of kings in Israel. He is the king of the world. He is the king of Israel. He is the king that everybody is hoping for. And this will be your child, Mary. Astounding to think about this young girl uh, hearing these things at this moment. Mary, Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? She's like, I've never had sex. I, how could it be possible that I would have a child? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You know, when we um, confess the Apostles' Creed, we, we, we talk about this. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. In other words, there's not going to be a human father because God is the father of this child. And this means so many things, but one of the most significant things this means is this child will not be born in sin because sin is passed down through the fathers. And the father of this child is God who is holy and without sin. And so she is going to bear the son of God. So the Holy Spirit conceives the child within her. The power of the Most High uh, will overshadow her. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He's holy. He's holy as God is holy because He is the Son of God. He is going to be absolutely unique. In all of human history, there's nobody like him. He is holy in and of himself. It's not just a holiness he receives from God as we do as human beings who are sinners, but he is holy. His character is holy. He, He exhibits holiness. He exudes holiness. He is holiness. He is the Son of God. Um, And verse 36, it says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and in the sixth month with uh, and is in the sixth month with her who is called barren. So she, he's also saying there, the prophecy about the forerunner, the one who will prepare the way for Messiah, well, your relative, your cousin Elizabeth, is having John the Baptist, who is the forerunner, to prepare the way for Messiah. So God, and, and we hear in the story that Elizabeth was barren. She wasn't able to have kids, and God does this miracle in bringing John the Baptist and saying, now she had a miracle, now you're going to have a miracle. And any Jew would have known that God brings his salvation plan through miraculous births 
all throughout the Old Testament. Now, this is what the angel says, because I'm sure she's doubting. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, listen, this is why we can have hope, because nothing is impossible with God. There are many impossible things for us, but nothing is impossible with God. And so we can have hope. And so listen to Mary's response. It's beautiful. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This young girl encounters this angel, terrified, hears what God's uh, promise is that God is going to do this through her. And she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Whatever you want, Lord, I will do it. Now, I'm sure she's terrified. She's a young woman. She's engaged to be married. How is she going to explain this to her husband, her future husband? How is she going to explain this to her family? But she's willing to serve the Lord. She's willing to go there. Now, we're going to skip this part, but she goes and visits uh, Elizabeth, her, her relative. And Elizabeth uh, says, you're the blessed one. You are carrying the mother of my Lord. And the child that is within me is the forerunner to the Messiah. And when you walked up to me, the child within me, she was six months pregnant at this time, the child within me leapt for joy within my womb. So Mary responds. This young girl responds. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, and she begins to sing the first Christmas carol, this beautiful song. It's called the Magnificat. It's Mary's song. It's one of the most beautiful pieces of poetry in all of the Bible. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is the beginning of her song. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, when you think about magnify, don't think about magnify like a microscope that takes magnify small things and make them look big. But think of this. Think of a telescope. What does a telescope do? It, 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 it magnifies things that are actually massive. Massive things. But they're so far away, they look small. And she's saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. I've got a telescope and I'm focused in on God. And His power and His glory and His beauty have been so good. And I can see His power. My soul worships Him. See, the only thing she can do after receiving this grace from God and this promise from God is to worship. And that's the only thing we can do too. When God gives us Jesus and God gives us salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. The only reaction is worship. And worship is not just singing. It is singing, as we see here, but it's a life of worship. A giving your heart and yourself to God because He has been so good to you. Look what she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, her hope is in God. Her, her rejoicing is in God. It's not in her circumstance. It's, it's not uh, in anything in this world. Her, her rejoicing is in God. And this is what makes her so strong, is that she, her connection with God over this. And listen to what she says. She says, verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here's what she's saying. I'm a 16-year-old girl. I live in a tiny little town that nobody cares about. I am poor. We know from other parts of the story that she is dirt poor. She is insignificant in the eyes of this world. But God looked on her humble estate and chose her 
to be the one. Uh, so she says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So she talks about how this, this moment, this gospel, this, this Jesus, this choosing of her affects her. But now she switches to praising God for something very specific. And it's about how Christmas brings hope to the hopeless. You see, because in this world, there are people with power and money. And this has always been true throughout history. The people on the top with power tend to rule over the people below. And they, they do so with oppression, whether it be direct oppression or whether it be through greed and keeping things to themselves and not being generous that, that brings oppression into the world. And so God sees this and God chooses this poor young lady in an insignificant town with an, a tiny, you know, 16-year-old life to be the one. So she says this, verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. If you want to receive his mercy, she says, fear him. And this is what she does. She fears God. She's not afraid of God in the sense of like, oh no, I, I'm so scared. Of, but more like there's this depth of fear and reverential awe of who God is that she wants to love him and please him with her life. Um, so verse 51, this is, this is, listen to what she says. She says, this is hope to the hopeless. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You see, the proud of this world, the billionaires, the oppressive class, the, the people that, that get away with paying no tax, pay less tax than a single mom who's living on $25,000 a year, the people that use the system to oppress and keep for themselves and push down, those people is who she's talking about. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Not just her, but this is the pattern of God. He always has a preference for the poor. He always has a preference for those who are being oppressed. Verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped the servant his servant Israel. So you hear the themes here. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now that might not be the experience right now of the world, but she can see beyond now. She, she can see with hope, with the eyes of hope. And she knows where history is going. Right now it looks like the oppressive class is winning and the poor are being put down. But God sees is what this is saying. The choosing of her is a picture of what God will ultimately do. That those who are oppressed throughout history will be lifted up by God as they put their faith in Him. And those who are the oppressors throughout history will be judged by God with great fierce harshness. And then verse 54, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. Israel is a, is a way of talking about God's people. Even in the New Testament, the church is called Israel. And so it says here, in light of that, let's look at that again. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He helps us. He's with us. Verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. We just studied Genesis. Remember, Remember how he made the promise to Abraham that Jesus was coming? This is what she's talking about. Abraham and the offspring. Who's the offspring? Well, we learned in Genesis, and we learned in the passages we just saw from Genesis, the offspring is Jesus. God is bringing hope 
to the world through Jesus. But the way in which he brings Jesus to the world is through an insignificant young girl in a town that nobody cares about. Poor, but she loves God. And God has had favor upon her. Hope. We can see here that, that she receives God's favor. The angel says, you're a favored one. She receives it. Uh, with her hope, she believes God's promise. God says, this is what I'm going to do. He had promised this to Israel. He had promised this throughout history. And he, now he's promising her she will be that, that woman that is the seed, will bring about the seed, the Genesis 3.15. Imagine what she's thinking. This verse that she's learned her whole life as a 16-year-old girl, she's the one. And so she hopes in God's promise. She doesn't doubt him. And we see that she sings that first Christmas carol. She, she rejoices in God's presence. So hope receives God's grace. In other words, we accept his perspective. We accept that he is the right one. And then we accept his forgiveness. We receive his grace. But hope also believes God's promise. God promised that he would send a king, he would send a son, he would send somebody who would help, who would, who would bring us uh, with his power, he would bring us uh, knowledge, and he would bring us a new identity. But hope also worships in song and in story. She says, I will worship him with my song as she writes the first Christmas carol. But she also says, I will worship him with my story, that my story is part of his story. And this is what we all have to see, that our story is part of his story. Mary is teaching us how to have faith. Mary is teaching us how to trust God. A 16-year-old girl is showing all of history what it means to have hope in God. In light of all of this, in light of this hope in God, I want to ask you, will you orient your whole life around this infinite infant who is in her womb. This, this child that is unborn, whom some might call a fetus, we would call a child, that her hope is in him. Will you put your hope in this child as well? You know, after he was born, he lived a perfect life. He died from your sin, for your sins. He rose from the dead. You see, this child that is in her womb has already lived that perfect life, has already died upon the cross, has already rose again. And this child that is in her womb has already ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he will return to judge evil and he will return to heal the world. You see, Christmas is about hope. It's not just about the hope of forgiveness of sins, but it's about the hope of the healing of the world through the child of Mary. Christmas brings hope to the hopeless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we hope in you. We hope in your Son. Holy Spirit, teach us to hope in the Son of God. Holy Spirit, teach us to have this receptiveness that Mary had. Holy Spirit, teach us to uh, lean in to your promises and trust them. Holy Spirit, cause us to worship in song with Christmas carols like Mary did. In trust of you, give us the hope 
Through the Holy Spirit, let us trust in the hope that you've already given. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace. Thank you.